Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Are we are we going already? We are we are in progress here, oh, Jason. You I, said you had you said you had stuff to do. You said you I, had man, this packed calendar. You've got like been rushing me to get started. I try to rush to get started, and then you ask me, "Are we starting?" See what the listener doesn't know is that right now you're joining us from the uh, tennis club where you always play tennis until noon <laughs> before you go into the studio. <laughs> got my white shorts on, my exactly. white shirts, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, and your your white Nikes as well too. <laughs> I'm actually I'm having. Um, you know, you like like the pickle beer and the sour beer stuff. I I, I, don't, I don't. I didn't really love it. No, I, 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 I don't do it. those, but I I do like. Um, revolver. I do like yeah. Uh, Hatch, oh, Hatch. Chili peppers. Com. Yeah. This is a revolver beer. You know, revolvers from uh, Fort Worth, Arlington. Uh, my bad, revolver. Ar- yeah, revolver is from Arlington, not Fort Worth. So this is a uh, it's a blonde ale with Hatch chilies. So let's uh, let's figure this one out. That sounds amazing. Um, let me know what the kick is like after you, after you finish. Like, let it go all the way down the throat there. Okay, how how hard is the kick there? Not bad. That's good. Huh. That's but good. you taste it, though, right? Yeah, you, I, you taste it on the beginning. Uh, I, I think this is harvest time, isn't it? For Hatch Chili's around now? I, yeah. I, 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 could, I can't speak on that, man. I have no you ever idea. been to the Hatch Chili Festival in New I have Mexico? not. I've, I, no, I've, I've been to, I used to go to, well, I used to go. I've been several times to the H&H Car Wash in El Paso, and they would always oh, have yeah. the Hatch Chili's the over best. there. You know, it just closed. Did it really? I did it not know closed. that. Yeah, the family just decided we're, we're closing it up. It's an institution. Huh. For those of you who haven't been, the uh, H&H Car Wash was an institution. It was re- literally a car wash that had been there for 50 or 60 years in El Paso, just north of the skyline there, uh, north of I-10. And they had a little diner inside. Best Tex-Mex. Dude. It was incredible. Awesome stuff. And not expensive either. My first job was in El Paso making nothing. And so uh, places like that were very welcome. And it was like right down the street from work. Man, that's really sad to hear. I did not know they had closed. What are you drinking, man? Um, You remember how I went through that like month or six weeks where it was like, uh, a fruit basket a week, you know, every, everything I drank seemed like it had fruit in it. Well, that's back. Um, I am drinking from Lakewood brewery, the tangerine queen today because summer doesn't really end here. So Crack it open, know, man. keeping it light, you know, I, I went to Belgium a few years ago and how is it? That's pretty good. Is it? It, it? You know what? You know what it pairs with? It says it pairs well with brie, ceviche and selfies. I don't know what that means. And selfies. That's what it says here. Huh. We went to Belgium a few years ago and uh, like a, a beer tour, my wife and I, and um, I really liked all their fruit beers. So I, wherever we went, I would have a fruit beer mm-hmm. and my wife would order like the, you know, just the regular beers and they would always bring the fruit beer out and hand it to her and bring the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, that is mine. And I she, will take that. She said, uh, no, that, the, the fruit one is his right over there. That's, and that, she's that's having like a stout. Oh yeah. yeah. She's having Guinness and whatever else. Not a Guinness, but you know, like the Duvel, some of those hey, you uh, know what? hardcore Belgian beers. Hey there. I don't ever apologize for having a refined palate and wanting something different. Oh my God. Um, let's we let's have to get talk in. about, 
politics today. Yeah, let's get into today's guest, man. I'm excited about this guy. And and he was, I don't say he was hands off, but he had a a contract with a TV station down in Austin. So he did a lot of analysis in Austin and uh, was kind of tied up for a long time. But now he's been cut loose and we have him on our program today. And he he has no problem letting loose either. Uh, if you've ever uh, followed him on Twitter, his name is Harold Cook. He is the former head of the Democratic Party here in Texas, uh, and he does not mince words. Uh, in fact, he's really a wordsmith, I would say. And, and and I don't care what part of the political spectrum you're on. If you appreciate somebody who's a wordsmith and, and can really get down into it. He is one of those guys. Uh, Harold, uh, you know, is kind of a frustrated Democrat um, and and, you know, he has some reasons to be. He can remember uh, when he actually helped uh, to have uh, a Democrat elected statewide here in Texas. If you have uh, joined us here in Texas in these past couple of decades, you've never known that. That's the dark uh, but, ages, man. That, that was a long time ago. Harold remembers those dark ages, and he wants to see if we can uh, make a return to that here in this state. But he uh, has been frustrated the past many election cycles. And, and Harold, hold hold on the line here just for a second. But before we get to you here, why are we doing this podcast? Not just to talk to Harold, but here's the point. Here we are after Labor Day, and a lot of people yeah. are wondering why, after the traditional start of the campaign season, which is Labor Day, why don't we have a Democratic gubernatorial candidate yet? Republicans clearly think Greg Abbott is vulnerable. Why don't Democrats? There's there are three candidates running against Greg Abbott on the right. Three Republicans on the right, Alan West, Don Huffines and Chad Prather. But here we are, not even a single candidate. There was talk of Matthew McConaughey. There was talk of uh, Beto O'Rourke flirting with it. I've heard a few other names, people who have run in the past. But no one is announced. And we have all these massive things going on that you would think that a candidate could capitalize on. And they're not. Yeah. And I even saw I was I saw this progressive blog that said that, hey, you know, past, you know, like three or four or so uh, election cycles, Democrats haven't chosen somebody to run for governor until October or later. So we're you know right on schedule, according to that. But then you think, well, Democrats didn't do so well in those either. I mean, they didn't win. Right. And didn't even come close in some of those cases. So, you know, earlier might be better, especially when you're up against uh, Greg Abbott, who has a huge war chest. But again, Greg Abbott is going to have to fight off people in his own party who came out early and said, you know, we're ready to take you down. And they're and, further right than he is. Uh, a, a lot. And, and did you just see the Lincoln Project? You guys remember the Lincoln Project? It, it's that that group of of. Uh Republicans or former Republicans who didn't like Donald Trump, and they just decided they were going to put all their money and their expertise into an organization called the Lincoln Project, and they're going after uh, Republicans who they don't think stand for conservatism anymore. Yeah, well, and speaking of blistering, Monday uh, on morning, Twitter yeah, and not mincing words. You know what was great on Sunday night? I saw this on Sunday night, and and they sent out a uh, a tweet, and it said, "See you in the morning, Greg Abbott." Mm. <laughs> So you're thinking, that, what is this going to be? I'm like, well, this is going to be good. What, what, yeah, what is this going to be? Well, on Monday morning, uh, you know, just the 13th, just yesterday, they, uh, the Lincoln Project released an ad. And Jason, you saw the ad. It's, it's an online ad, but they're really going after um, Governor Abbott for his comment he made the other day about eliminating all rapists in the state after he was asked about that at the bill signing for the, um, the abortion bill. And the Lincoln Project makes the point that, well, you were a Supreme Court justice in Texas, Greg Abbott. 
You were the attorney general in Texas. You're running for your third term as governor in Texas. Why haven't you eliminated all the rapists in the state after 24 years in office? It is blistering, Jason. Right. And that is uh, floating out there on Twitter. If you haven't already seen it, it is uh, still there if you uh, care to take a look at that. Um, But, you know, here we go into another uh, election. And here we go again with the Lincoln Project taking off the gloves. And apparently they're going to be focusing in here on this governor's race here in Texas. So there's one more problem for Greg Abbott right now. But again, he doesn't have a problem yet on the Democratic side. And uh, we're going to talk to Harold Cook right now about that Harold uh, don't hang up on us here we've just been going on and on uh so so let's get to Harold right now and talk about you know what are Democrats thinking uh heading into what could be an opportune election for well, them this this time yeah well you, let, let me just go back to what, what I mentioned a moment ago Harold here, here I guess here let's start with this question why haven't we heard of a single Democrat in the race yet when when Republicans even think Greg Abbott is vulnerable well I think it's probably because uh, Beto O'Rourke is going to freeze the field, if there is a field, until he makes up his mind and announces whether he's going to run or not. Uh, He, I think, starts out in the lead in any primary, in the Democratic primary anyway. And I'm kind of scared to death that he's not going to run. And I'm also scared to death that he will run. Uh, Everybody on my personal list of possible candidates for governor has uh, really, really strong strengths, uh, and they have some. Some of them have some weaknesses, and others have just got a lot of unknowns. Hmm. I want to get into in just a moment that list of names yeah. uh, that that you have there. But before we get to that list, I would just like to ask, what is it about Beto O'Rourke that you think is his biggest strength, and what do you really worry about if he does well, choose to run? He he energizes energizes Democrats in a big, big way. Uh, And he's very skilled at it. And he can articulate a very clear message that resonates with a lot of voters. Uh, And most of all, he can raise a ton of money, which is absolutely necessary if you're running for governor. I mean, calling somebody a good candidate for governor who can't raise a bunch of money would be like saying, you know, God, that guy's a great quarterback. Too bad he can't pass. It, that, that person just doesn't exist unless they can uh, raise the money to communicate with voters. And it's a big state. Now, the uh, the things that worry me about him is that, especially during his presidential race, he took some positions uh, that uh, I would predict are going to hurt him in a governor's race here in Texas, probably most of, mostly among them, the uh, uh, you know, the gun fat confiscation stuff, but uh, he's a very, very good articulate message carrier. If, if, if anybody has the skill to explain that, explain that in such a way that, that voters understand it, then it's probably him, but I'm not sure it's explainable. Hmm. Well, you mentioned your list and I want to go through that because you also mentioned that, you know, Beto might be freezing out a field. Who else is in this field? I've only heard a handful of names. You know, there's Lena Hidalgo that people have mentioned, the, the county judge in Harris County in Houston, uh, the county judge in Dallas, who is uh, Clay Jenkins as well. There was, you know, chatter and rumor about Matthew McConaughey. No one knew which party he might run in. But but who else is even out there that people are talking about, Harold? 
Well, I, I either of the Castro brothers, I think, would make excellent candidates. They've been talked about for years, haven't they? And these guys don't want to get into it. Well, we don't know that. I mean, sooner or later, they're not going to stay out forever. Uh, look, my last list doesn't have anything to do with whether or not some somebody would actually do it or not. My list has more to do with whether I think they'd be a quality candidate or not. Uh, but his brother also, uh, Julian Castro, former secretary in the president's cabinet, uh, they would electrify a whole bunch of candidates, either one of them. I mean, voters, uh, they are very, very good at what they do. Uh, Lena Hidalgo is on my list as well, although she has expressed absolutely no interest in the race. I think she would show a lot of promise as a candidate. And uh, Rafael Anchia, he has expressed no interest in this re race. But boy, I tell you, especially during the uh, quorum break recently, that the state Democrats broke the quorum, uh, he really stood out to me as an expert on messaging. He Every word out of his mouth really resonated with his audience that he was trying to attract. And he's been doing that for years in a more quiet way in the state house. And uh, I don't know if he's ready to stretch his wings or not, but I think he'd be very, very good. And then the, the last one on my list, she has never expressed any interest and I doubt seriously she'd do it. But Donna Howard is a st state rep out of Austin and she is progressive, but I'll tell you, everybody in the state house, whether they agree with her or not, they adore her. They respect her. She's rock solid on messaging, and she's also rock solid on policy. And she uh, gets a lot done behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, too. So I think she would potentially be a very good candidate for governor. Whether or not any of these people seriously consider it or not, I don't know. But nobody's going to seriously consider it until we know what Beto O'Rourke is going to do. He's he's just going to have to call his shot before we know anything else, I'm afraid. And and how critical is that, though, timing-wise, Harold? Because, you know, here we are. Uh, we've got this new poll that just came out uh, and, and the uh, Texas Election Project there and um, uh, Texas Politics Project, rather, at the University of Texas at Austin, uh, showing Governor Abbott with about the most dismal numbers that we've seen as far as approval and disapproval. Uh, and that includes among independents. Uh, that really looked ugly for him this time around. You've got school districts across the state that are defying his orders right now. You have sniping from the right of him going into a primary. Uh, he's got a lot of vulnerabilities. COVID is still surging here in Texas, but you don't have a candidate on the Democratic side who can make some hay out of that uh, about a year out from elections right now. No, that is exactly right. I agree with you completely. Every day that goes by where we don't have a candidate or candidates for governor is another missed opportunity. Do I think it's a fat, fatal mistake? No, it's not. But I don't like missing opportunities. And I mean, especially what if we had had a big favorite for governor who was already announced a week ago when when all this abo abortion stuff came out, they would have already raised three more million dollars hmm. based on that issue alone, based on the anger of progressive voters and other pro-choice voters who may not otherwise be progressive. But I mean, every day that goes by, I think 
without a Democrat in the race for governor is uh, is another opportunity lost, which is the nature of my concern. Harold, I, I've been in Texas for 21 years and, you know, in between Houston and Dallas. And in that time, I, I don't recollect a single viable candidate on the Democratic side for governor, uh, you know, from Tony Sanchez to Lupe Valdez. I, I'm just curious why the drought, because you know, you worked for Governor Ann Richards back in the 90s. You uh, were on the campaigns for uh, Bill Clinton. You've seen the pendulum swing back the other way. What's going on? Why are Democrats fielding candidates? It seemed like someone just turned the lights off. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, the less statewide races that Democrats ever won was in 1994. It was the same night that Ann Richards lost her reelection, but other Democrats in the statewide ballot won. A bunch of them did. Uh, but then after that, I think the uh, the older generation of Democrats, uh, in especially the ones in rare, rural or areas, started either switching parties uh, or accelerated their switch and died off, frankly, a lot of them. So the, the state kind of drafted farther and farther Republican, along with the rest of the South. Uh, frankly, all the Southern states were, were drifting Republican at varying degrees of speed. But, uh, but lately, uh, things have gone back the other way, and Republicans have lost ground in almost every election for the last six elections. They're still winning them but they're winning them by smaller and smaller margins. But you can't beat somebody with nobody. Hmm. And we are going to have to really, as Democrats, focus a lot harder on recruiting really, really good quality candidates, or we're going to keep losing despite the changes that place us in a better position to win. Yeah, demographically, we have seen some shifts that that should be good news uh, for Democrats here in this state. And yet every time we, we go into an election cycle, we hear this is the year. <clears throat> this is the year we're going to turn it blue. Uh, and then it never quite comes to fruition. And there you have that candidate issue going on. Uh, you know, I know that they say that it's smart to be a candidate for as little time as possible. And so I think, you know, maybe that's what some of these people on your list are thinking. You know, maybe I'll just wait and jump in, uh, you know, where I don't have to campaign and campaign and campaign forever. But then we've got that money problem. I mean, Governor Abbott has something like 55 million plus sitting in his bank account and he's still out there fundraising. Somebody's going to have to come in with a whole bag of money. No, that's the truth. Uh, Greg Abbott is probably the best fundraiser the, the Texas Republicans have are, ever seen, and it's not even close. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, it doesn't matter what Democrat ends up in the race. Somebody will, and they're going to be outspent. That's just a given. And But you don't have to spend the most money to, to win a race. What you have to do is raise enough money to be able to communicate with voters so that they know what you're about and who you are and, and make their judgments on you. But, but I don't agree with your premise here. The shorter the amount of time spent as a candidate is not necessarily good, especially if you're not the incumbent. Uh, good case in point, uh, Ted Cruz would not be in the United States Senate today 
if the primary election had not been delete, delayed by redistricting and uh, Ted Cruz got more time to, to, uh, to challenge David Dewhurst, who was the favorite to win. Uh, and I think that if the, the uh, primary election had not been delayed, that uh, Dewhurst probably would have beaten Cruz. So I think a lot of times, if you're starting from behind, you you can use the extra time to catch up. Uh, they might, the, you know, the, it might be bad for the incumbent, but I don't think it's necessarily bad for the challenger. But every day that goes by without anybody uh, making a big move to challenge Abbott as a Democrat, you're p- passing opportunities to make news. You're passing up opportunities to to raise money. And you're probably p- passing up a bunch of opportunities to introduce yourself to a whole bunch of voters who didn't know you, were, at least in that context, before. Hmm. So we've been talking about this topic for a while, but let me tell our, our listeners why we decided to give you a call, Harold. Uh, I, I've been following your your Twitter account for, forever, um, and I always feel the, like I owe people an apology for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very entertaining, actually. I could see it, how people, Republican or Democrat, would be yeah. entertained just by reading it. Well, and here's one of the tweets. I, I want to read a couple of these real quick because this these tweets caused me to reach out to you and say, hey, man, come on, y'all, politics with us. Uh, you wrote on September the 4th, a few days back, uh, I, I swear I've been a Democrat all my life. And at one time I was the executive director of the Texas Democratic Party. But if I have to go another 48 hours, you wrote, without a credible candidate for governor announcing, I'm going to lose my SHIT. You said, I'm about to be way off the reservation. And then this one really, you know, this one really cracked me up. Uh, You immediately followed it up with four years ago, I complained about the same thing on the TV show when you were on, on TV in Austin doing political analysis. And you said you were promptly invited to drinks by the Democratic Party staff to get you back in line. And then we ended up, you wrote, with a nominating a county sheriff, Lupe Valdez from Dallas, who couldn't have raised money with a gun, a mask, and a list of 7-Elevens. <laughs> <laughs> that, that cracked me up. But tell us what's happening behind the scenes right now. Are, are the Democratic Party staff taking Beto out for coffee or drinks or saying, hey, make up your mind. You, you, you got to, you know, do something pretty quick here because we have to make a move. Is that happening behind the scenes? Or well, is probably. Beto calling the shots? But that would be normal for that to be happening. The, I've got a lot of sympathy, though, for uh, Democratic Party staff itself uh, because you can't make somebody run. And a lot of people are risk-averse, and you have to show them at least – uh, where it's possible to win. And if you can't show them a credible plan to win and where the funding might come from and, and what help they might have and what they might have to do on their own and everything in between, they're even less likely to be convinced that they should run because winners don't, you know, lose. I mean, they just don't want to lose anything. And if they can't be shown a path to victory, they got better things to do with their time. So I, I, it would be normal, and I hope it's happening, for party staff and the, the leadership of the Democratic Party is reaching out in a big way to a lot of these people, explaining how they can win uh, against Abbott, probably, but not necessarily, and, uh, and how it can be funded 
and where they think the, the, the help would come and what that candidate would have to do on their own and having very sane, very credible, uh, realistic conversations like that. And I hope that's happening. I don't know. I'm curious uh, if, in fact, you did lose your sh- uh, 48 hours did go by and then some and you still don't have a candidate. What do you do now? Well, I may have been exaggerating a little bit. I was just a little frustrated at the moment, but uh, but but it was what I it, it's the same frustration I expressed earlier. Every day that goes by, I think we are missing opportunity. All right. Uh, quick time out here so that we can uh, get a word in from our sponsor. All righty, now back to the program. Harold, give me an idea. What What is the main concern among Democrats, among Lena Hidalgo, among the Castros, among all these potentially really good Democratic candidates? Is it time, energy, and money? Or are they scared of Abbott's war chest? What is the thing that, that's holding people back? Well, you know, it's a little bit of everything. It really just depends on the person you're talking about. Some people... Uh, legitimately like the jobs they're in, and they're not—they're not looking to make, move up. They're doing exactly what they wanted to do. Others, it would not be irrational to be uh, to be giving serious pause to running up against a an opponent with so much money and so much fundraising power, uh, and at times past, it would have been rational for them to pause and think, why am I going to run against a popular incumbent governor? And right now, though, that that is not true. He is not very popular at all. Now, who knows? I mean, Abbott could recover uh, his popularity. It's a long time till Election Day, uh, the general election, certainly. But, uh, you know, you don't get any guarantees. You just got to you, you kind of have to go to war with the an army you've got. And you you figure out how much money you think you can raise and you figure out how many votes you think that can attract and you size up the uh, the opponent and think, well, can I get more votes than that guy or not? And for a long, long time, uh, Democrats on the top of the ticket in in Texas have been 100 percent wrong about that. Uh, But sooner or later, somebody's going to do it. And I'm always hoping, because I'm a progressive, that this is the year, whatever year this is. And uh, the, But I'll tell you, you're not going to win anything with nobody. If you go and, and sit down with, with any of the candidates on your list, or, or anybody else, Harold, um, what do you tell them when they ask, where do you see a path to victory? Because Abbott, let's say he does survive the, uh, the primary. He has $55 million. He might not have that much after he goes through a primary, but he has enough money to run for president. Where is there a path to victory right now for a Democratic governor? Because Abbott's been winning by double digits. Yeah, I, I think what you have to do to have an honest, frank conversation with any potential candidate is you start with data, whatever data is available, and you probably go out and develop some yourself with a, a pri- private polling and research, and you take a long, hard look at that to see if it's even possible. Maybe it's not. I've seen polls in some years where it's really just not possible, and you're, you shouldn't ever lie to a, to a potential candidate. You have to show them where you yourself are convinced that it's true, 
And then if assuming they believe you in that front, then you have to work together to try to figure out, okay, where does the money come from? What what help can we expect from national uh, donors or institutions nationally? What can we expect from uh, state-based institutions? What are our strengths financially? And what are our weaknesses financially? And make that based on realistic expectations. And, uh, and if you can get post, past those two things, uh, you're 90% of their, the way there toward convincing somebody that they should run. Harold, if do you, you don't have those two things figured out, you, sh- you have no business talking to anybody. Yeah. Harold, do you think that there are individual potential candidates for governor on the Democratic side or the Democratic Party here in Texas that is already doing some of that work? Do you think that polls have already been commissioned just to kind of test the waters to see? Do you think that somebody is reaching out to potential donors to see, you know, how much might we be able to count on? I would bet on it. I would absolutely bet on it because this is the time of year where you would get down to brass tacks to figure out exactly what is your realistic expectation, uh, both in terms of support uh, among voters and in terms of financial considerations and take a very hard look and a realistic one at uh, at the possibilities. And even so, I mean, it's still a crapshoot after you got get done with all of that because there's a lot in any campaign you can't control. You cannot control what the other guy is going to do, what the other party is going to do. Because, you know, political parties don't just sit around and wait to lose. So, I mean, Abbott's got his own plan. He's going to have a plan for how to beat whatever Democrat exists against him. And they're probably developing that plan at the same time, too. You know, along that line, you you've been in that chair uh, before. You know, leading the party here in this state, is there is there probably pressure coming from higher up right now as well? You know, do you have the White House, for instance, calling someone and saying, "Hey, why don't you get in there? We need we need somebody in Texas." Sadly, it's probably not happening because in most election cycles uh, in the last twenty five or so years. The the uh, the national Democrats have kind of thought that Democrat was a big pain and they haven't wasted a whole bunch of time on us. There are exceptions to that. But for the most part, uh, you know, they just got bigger, bigger, faster fry, especially with governor's races and uh, U.S. Senate races, because there are 50 governors in America and it would be nice to have another few governorships in Democratic hands, but there are a lot less expensive states to win those races in than Texas. Uh, Same goes for U.S. Senate races, Uh, you you know, especially with regard to the U.S. Senate. They don't care where their majority comes from, just as long as they have one. And why would you invest in a state like Texas, which costs gobs, gobs of money because we have more you know, media markets than anybody else, when you could also go to, I'd say, uh, a Nebraska or a South Dakota or some some tiny state and pick up a Senate state there for a fraction of the money. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point there. 
but you know that Senate race that, that launched Beto O'Rourke back in 2018. Um, obviously, that was close, but it was unsuccessful. Then he took some time off and thought about running for president. He did that, and that was unsuccessful as well, too. What is Beto weighing right now? Is is he thinking, I think he still wants to be in politics, but is he thinking that he needs to take some time and maybe run for Senate again if Ted Cruz is running for president like he's really hinting he is? Or or does, is he really weighing running against Greg Abbott, do you think? I actually think he's very seriously winning the governor's race. Now, whether he'll do it or not, I don't know. But uh, he is very, very clearly itching to back get back into it. He has been spending all of his time in the last couple of months registering voters in Texas. And he's not just doing that for his health. Uh, I mean, he, uh, you know, he, he is altruistic enough to, to do it without running for anything to help other Democrats. But uh, a lot of a lot of Democrats hope he gets into the race. I do think, though, his uh, presidential race did not help him as far as future Texas ra- runs are concerned. But but I'm thinking, too, though, Harold, if he gets back into the race and, and let's say he's unsuccessful in the governor's race as well, too, he probably doesn't have a lot of options left, I wouldn't think, after running three unsuccessful campaigns. I, I may be wrong, but I, I mean, that's probably got to be on his mind as well, too. This could be the last one if, if he loses this, right? I would guess so. I mean, there's only so many times that your biggest fans can explain away why you lost a race. I mean, there's a fine line between caring a lot and wanting to do big things and failing every single time you try it. I don't think anybody faults him for not winning a presidential race because almost everybody does uh, lose those races. But uh, uh, And I'm not sure anybody's faulting him for, uh, for uh, losing to Cruz because he came so close, closer than any Democrat has come in a generation. But if, uh, if he were to get in in this race or any other race, uh, at or near the top of the ticket again, and were to lose again, then that then becomes an undeniable trend. And I think whether he not knows it, knows it or not, I think his his star starts starts to get pretty dim. I think part of his uh, you know big success in getting so close to winning in that Senate race was that he visited every single county in Texas, which seemed like you know just this crazy notion uh, in a state this big. I want to ask you a little bit about geography because you're joining us right now from your home in, uh, as they say there, Marathon, not Marathon. I say Marathon, so obviously I'm not from there, uh, out in the Big Bend area, but you also keep a place in Austin. So you're in these two worlds, Harold. You you know have been in the city center. It's very blue. You've been out in the rural, which is, you know, trends very red here in Texas, especially is there something that, you know, would you, what would you say to Democrats? You, you live in both of those worlds, and it seems like they've had real trouble connecting in those rural areas. And as you said, we lost a generation of, of Democrats out in those areas, and it seems like they haven't been back. No, that's very true. And I think uh, Democrats, uh, a lot of Democrats never get out of their little pod and over time, I think you can be lulled into believing 
that everybody in the world agrees with you on every issue. And if you just articulated it right, you'd win. And that's just not true. I mean, it is a very, very diverse state in terms of their their thinking and their positions and where they are on the uh, on the policy scales. And I think it has always really helped me getting out uh, just everywhere in the state to uh, to see how other people talk and what they believe and what they react to and what they may believe, but they are not going to make an electoral decision based on this issue instead of this, that issue. And the ones that are just not even negotiable, that they're going to vote against anybody with X position or Y position. I mean, there's a lot of nuance and it's really tough. Uh, and that's been the problem with a lot of the uh, Democratic grassroots is that they live in their one little place and they know what their neighbors think, but there's a whole big, huge state out there and there's a whole bunch of real estate that they're not familiar with, full of a whole bunch of people that I'm not sure they'd understand if they talk to them. And the more understanding that happens, the better the odds are that you will successfully connect with those voters and talk to them at a level that they can hear you. I mean, there are a lot. There have been a lot of candidates, uh, both in both parties, frankly, that uh, probably had positions that were uh, had enough agreement for them to win an election that they lost instead because they just really never found the right way to explain that position to enough voters. But let's stick with geography for a moment, Harold. Um, obviously, the the larger metropolitan areas—Austin, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth—are are blue. Uh, the rural areas are red, and the suburban areas are purple. But one place that the Democrats have counted on for years is the Rio Grande Valley, the southern tip of Texas. We're now starting to see that shift to more a purple, uh, purplish color, maybe even red. What's going on down there? There, there was a, a brand new. Um, Republican mayor elected in McAllen, even though it's a nonpartisan race, a municipal race. But still, it seems like that that Republicans have kind of targeted that. Uh, we saw former President Trump down there a whole bunch of times, even recently mm-hmm. down there. And and Democrats, it seems like they've always taken it for granted and just haven't reinvested in that area. Why not? Uh, well, it's it's a lot of money, mostly. Uh, I mean, it's more money than they got in most elections. But I, I, you know, I'm not sure I understand what's happening on in the border region yet. And I'm not ready to say whether that's a sudden trend that started in the last election that's going to continue or whether it was a very specific weakness with Joe Biden. He didn't connect and they'll go back to defaulting to mostly voting Democratic in future elections. I don't know. But they're behaving on the border very differently than Hispanics in, say, uh, urban areas like Houston. There are more Hispanics in Houston than they are in the entire Rio Grande Valley. And uh, meanwhile, the suburbs are very quickly uh, turning more and more blue. So it's kind of a race to figure out who can to figure it out first, whether or not the Republicans can crack the code in South Texas 
enough to stave off their losses in er, uh, suburban areas or whether or not uh, Democrats can convince Hispanics on the border to come home and start voting Democratic again in big numbers, uh, along with not losing any of the uh, suburban voters that we've been gaining. And those are the same sorts of uh, math, math problems that you have to really, really connect with those voters and make sure that you're not just showing up two weeks before Election Day to make a bunch of promises that you won't keep and won't be seen as credible because they never heard from you for two years mm. until two weeks before election day. And that's mm. nowhere. That's really not the way to effectively organize. Effective organizing is a full-time job. Harold, I've got one more for you here. Um, it, it seems like Republicans run a machine here in this state. They, 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 they win again and again and again and again. It's been a long time since Democrats have had a big statewide success here. So let's say that you get a great candidate uh, for governor this time around. They decide to you know, launch themselves, shoot themselves out of this cannon. Is there going to be a system that will catch them when they land? Does the Democratic Party here in Texas have the infrastructure, the means, the machinery to help them get that done? And if not, what does the party need to do? Where are the weak spots there? Well, that's the big question. I, I don't know. Uh, and it varies from time to time. Uh, I think the infrastructure is uh, at least theoretically in place. The bigger question is, after it's all said and done in between elections, does the state party have the resources, the financial resources to keep it going? Or do they have to lay off a bunch of people and just wait for better times? I've seen both things happen, frankly. They have uh, at times had the resources to keep organizing and keep, you know, keep communicating with those voters. And at other times they've just ran, run out of money because nobody believed they could do it and uh, they had to stop. More recently, I think they've been doing a pretty good job. Could they do better? Of course they could, but it's not for lack of ideas. It's usually lack of resources. At the end of the day, Harold, my last question is, are, are you hopeful for the Democratic Party in Texas? I've got to be because there isn't really uh, another option for people like me. The, the Republicans have wandered farther and farther and farther to the right. You can see it right now in the, uh, the primary race for governor where Greg Abbott is the more, most far right uh, governor of my lifetime. And he's got two opponents who are accusing him of being liberal and too not conservative enough. And I mean, the farther to the right they go, I think they separate themselves for more and more general election voters who just don't speak that language. They don't understand those priorities and that's not what their families are all about. So I think in a way the Republicans are making it more possible to be um, optimistic about Democrats' chances. Am I realistic, though? Yes, I am. We haven't won a statewide race in a very, very long time in Texas. It's go always going to be a state uphill battle, uh, which is why I really, really hate it every time I see an opportunity being missed by Democrats. 
That's good Harold. insight, Harold. I really appreciate you taking some time from Marathon. You Marathon. Can go back to your gorgeous vis- uh, vistas out there. And did you notice, too, Jason, that he was giving our listeners a, uh, uh, a lesson on how to pronounce cities? He called it Houston. Like the natives call it, Houston, not Houston, but I, that's Houston. How, you know what, Harold? Oh, we, born in Houston. Yes, Where we are really? correct in that. It is a U. It begins with a U. Not well, a, yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah well, I, you you'd be surprised. <laughs> I've got some nasty messages from people that says otherwise. Um, Harold, we're going to have to check back in with you when we do finally get a Democratic candidate for governor. I, I This Democratic candidate for governor might end up being you. Oh, no. It's never going to be my, me. Uh, I kind of like not being criticized by complete strangers all day. You're uh, still getting that on Twitter. Well, that's, that's easy to ignore. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, every podcast, we, we always try to find a title to the podcast. And Harold is, is just full of one-liners. Yeah, Harold's um, like a title machine. But, but here, here's, here's the best thing he said for Democrats. You can't beat somebody with nobody. Yeah. And at the end of the day, regardless of the month, you've got to get somebody in there. And, and, and Harold made, made a good note that whichever candidate might eventually you know, get into the race, and we know someone's going to get into the race, they're missing out on huge fundraising opportunities right now with redistricting. It's coming up starting, yeah. what, a, a week from uh, next week, next Monday is yeah, when it starts. coming fast. Yeah, that, the abortion bill that came out, voting rights, there have been a lot of, a lot of things that a, a candidate could have fundraised on that are now, you know, potentially behind the eight ball. And they could also start laying out their position so yeah. that they can start giving voters out there, uh, you know, a compare and contrast, uh, you know, with the current governor. And, and there's nobody there doing that right now. And what's really interesting to me, Jason, is just this whole, you know, almost it, it's almost like, you know, wagers are being taken here as to who is going to be the marquee name that lines up against uh, Republicans on the Democratic side this time around. A lot of people have tossed out, of course, Matthew McConaughey. We've heard Beto O'Rourke many times. We've heard of a lot of different county judges and representatives. Uh, I saw an interesting one that I hadn't seen uh, on this blog the other day. And, you know, it's I guess it's feasible. But uh, somebody threw out uh, the possibility of wouldn't Greg Popovich, the San Antonio Spurs head coach, be an interesting one because he has been very outspoken in, in, you know, political issues here in the past couple of years. Uh, that was an intriguing one that I hadn't even thought of. So, you know, there's this whole almost cottage industry out there trying to develop who would be the perfect uh, candidate for Democrats to run in 2022. How about let's start another rumor. How about Mark Cuban? Why not? Huh? You heard it here first think, on Yolitics, guys. Uh, I think, I but, think you know, Mark, he's, if, if he's, he's going to do something, he wants to go even bigger. You yeah, know? no, he's, he's not a he's not a you know guy who limits himself to like a county race or a state race. Uh, Mark wants to rule the world, I think. But he, he talked about politics. I mean, he, yeah, he was he, he was pretty outgoing about the uh, the um, orders for, you know, the what, what was it called? The businesses, the the essential businesses. That's what it was called right. last year in 2020. So. He was outspoken on that. Yeah, who, who knows? But at some point, someone's well, going to have to. He's got him. the money. Fifty fifty-five million in 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 Abbott's war chest wouldn't scare him at all. No, not not at all. That that will be uh, an enticing challenge should Mark Cuban decide to do that. But you Mark, know, something- if you're listening and you want to announce, you know where to do it. Yeah, it's, we'll, it's right here. We'll, we'll give you the entire program, the entire <laughs> podcast. We've never done that before. 
You know, Mark could buy this podcast and both of us too, Jason. We'll sell it. Need us to uh, give him we'll sell it, man. We'll, we'll sell it. No <laughs> we'll problem. We'll sell ourselves. <laughs> yes. But you know, here, here's something else that, that uh, the, the last point I'll make from the conversation with Harold, and, and it's, it's great. We need to call him more often. But yeah. Harold really said what a lot of people are kind of thinking about Beto O'Rourke. He's got to really decide because this could be his last race. Yeah. He ran the Senate race. It was super close. He didn't win that one. He ran the presidential race. He had some issues on that. He clearly didn't make the nomination for the Democratic uh, you know, presidential nomination there. He's got to decide. He cannot lose another high-profile race like this, or, or he, he's done as far as politics goes. But my email box blows up all the time with his organization, Powered by the People, yeah. raising money for everything. Right. So my guess is he's... You know, probably really considering whether to run or not, especially with the Lincoln Project diving into this race, huh? Well, yeah, because that's outside money that could come in to help uh, make the sitting governor vulnerable, number one. Number two, Beto O'Rourke probably does have the one of the best chances at being able to raise the kind of money he would need to raise in that period of time. Uh, but, you know, again, you got to hurry up and make a decision here because it's not just about you. Uh, it's about a party. It's about all of these other people who are sort of waiting in the wings because, the, you know, they don't want to, you know, cannibalize uh, their party here either. But, you know, there's some people who would throw their hat into the ring, but they they don't want to do it if he's going to do it eventually. So they're like, hey, man, can we get a decision? Yay or nay? Right. And you know what? Here's what I'm interested in. Who Who do you think should run? Who do you think the you know who is the is the best person that the Democrats could run? We have a phone call. Uh, we have a phone line set up, and we're waiting for for calls on this. We we've got. And I think we mentioned always at the end of the podcast, which is mistake number one. Yeah. Um. But we would like to hear who you think. Nobody should run. listens this long, Jason. No, they usually don't. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this one more time here. <laughs> here's here's the phone number. 214 214-977-6020. 214-977-6020. Six zero two zero. Let us know who you think should run. We'll give them a call and see if we can get them on the line here. Um, you know, if we get you know quite a few votes for an individual, why not call them? Yeah, we, Wheeler's shaking his head. He's like, eh, I don't know if we're going to give him a call, but well, I don't know. I, I think we should. Or if you're some individual who is a, a big timer and, and, like I said, you want to make that announcement, why not just do it by voicemail on the Yolitics line <laughs> and uh, we'll play it out and then we'll give you a call. So let us know. <laughs> Uh, we digress. Uh, seriously, everybody, thank you so much for listening once again here with us. We will do it all again next week, which will be a, a momentous week here in Texas because uh, we've got another legislative session starting up. And this mm. one might be a bigger fight than all of the other ones before it because uh, this one deals with redistricting. It's going to be nuts. Get ready. 